Hi, Michaela. Hello, Steve. So the other day we posted an invitation on Instagram stories, an Ask Me Anything invitation for people's questions. And wow, we got a ton of them. And there are some really fantastic ones. So I'm going to fire them at you today and we're going to see what you say. All right. First one. What can I do when in doubt for a long time if I should stay or leave my relationship? And actually, there's another one a lot like that, which is how do you know in your body when a relationship is over? Mm. I think that's I'm glad you're starting with that. But I think that that's a question that's asked a lot. And um, there's a few answers and it's quite nuanced, obviously, um, since we're talking about uh, changing our lives when you know we're talking about changing partners or or ending a partnership. But in general, we can always assume that you're either in it too long or you haven't given it enough time. That's typically the two options that happen when people um, talk about what's happening in their relationship. Right. So in the many years I've seen clients, typically it's either the, well, I should have left a long time ago, or I didn't give this enough time, right? So where that comes from often has to do with, um, that's, I, I just want to start there because that gives us a bit of an idea of how can you tell and when is it time to still put work in and when is it time to get out as quickly as possible, so to speak. So um, typically there's different kinds of uh, people when it comes to how people enter relationship. And of course, everybody nowadays knows about, uh, you know, codependence and a lot of people nowadays, because that has become the, the, the cool new thing to do in therapy, attachment styles, right? Everybody's into attachment styles nowadays. Um, and they're super useful uh, in the sense that they're good lenses. They're not the only lens, but they're good lenses. And so um, we can look at a, a few um, aspects of how do we get into relationship or, or what are we attracted to in relationship and typically um, how we relate to our intimate relationships is based on a number of factors that have to do with what we saw when we were raised with the people who raised us parents or otherwise um, has to do with how we attach um, you know, and it has to do with patterns also of previous relationships and, you know, general trauma patterns and things like that. So typically we um, either, well, there are some people who are just very healthy around it. They had healthy parents doing um, healthy relationship. They had healthy attachment. Uh, they don't have a lot of drama in their previous relationships and they're just generally well balanced. And then um, there's still what the, what are your love imprints from your childhood that plays into it. But if you tend to be somewhat nervous or anxious in um, being with a partner and you want a lot of contact and you want a lot of affirmation, you want a lot of um, connection and you feel only complete with a partner, uh, then you tend to stay longer than you should potentially, or you tend to tolerate more than you should tolerate. Um, and the boundary setting function is often not very strong. This is also true um, in the context of people who had very a very overbearing parent uh, who, or who had transgressions against their boundaries, 
who aren't able to completely individuate themselves and affirm themselves with themselves in a relationship. So those people tend to stay longer than they should, should a relationship have taken its course. And I'll talk about that in a moment, what that means. And then there's people who are somewhat, um, uh, you know, let's say, avoidant of intimacy, avoidant of deeper engagement, also avoidant of conflict sometimes, uh, or they don't want the hassle or they're unwilling to tolerate even the slightest bit of uh, friction in the relationship. And it's very unpleasant to them. And so they tend to get out much faster than they potentially should. So those are just two ways that we can look at um, how uh, you want to decide is it time to go or is it time to stay stay and work on it a bit longer or should you have left a long time ago so um, one question was um, how do you know in your body when it's over uh, and the other one was um, I've stayed you know I feel like I should have left so the 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 thing to consider here is what's the purpose of the relationship and we've talked about this in previous episodes and you know we talk about it all the time um what's the purpose of the relationship um whatever two people decide that they want to embark on um, is very important if that's not lined up that will cause friction in the relationship from the beginning or maybe the purpose of the relationship changes over time so perhaps both people got into it just for the fun and fun dating and then one person wants to take it deeper and the other one doesn't or one wants children the other one wants uh, a killer career or things like that so it could be that that feeling of it's done has to do with the relationship no longer being compatible. And that's a valid reason to leave a relationship. So for instance, if one partner wants children, the other partner absolutely doesn't want children. That's a valid reason to leave a relationship because there isn't a compromise. Like they say, there isn't a little bit pregnant, right? Now it could be that one person comes around eventually because they just need a bit more time but that's dicey, obviously, of course, also because of things like biological clock and overriding somebody's personal needs for the need of staying with the partner. So um, there is incompatibility of all different kinds that could make it that it's actually okay to leave the relationship. Oh. But then we could also say that a lot of things that I've seen over the years in relationship could actually be worked out. A lot of the, um, the gripes people have in relationship have to do with the fact that they can't communicate properly or that they have never actually defined the purpose of the relationship or they've never considered that sexual desire naturally waxes and wanes in a relationship and that you can work on that or that there's tools one can learn in um, adjusting a lifestyle and, and the way you relate to each other within the relationship. So I'm saying all of this to say that there's a multitude of factors. And so the thing to, to um, determine is, are you compatible? And are, is the purpose of your relationship aligned? If it's not aligned, can it get aligned? Or is it what they call in divorce court, irreconcilable differences? Then the next thing to consider is, are the patterns, if there's conflict in the relationship, 
are the patterns such that they can be worked out with the help of a therapist? Um, are the patterns uh, problems in communication or are the patterns such that everybody brings out the worst in the other person? It actually um, is just so horrible and maybe even abusive or dangerous or, um, you know, just soul destroying to one or both partners to continue. So that's, those are all things to figure out. Then the next thing, and this brings us to, um, you know, what the body does when you have a repulsion towards your partner, that's never a good thing, right? So if the body has an absolute no, um, that's of course never a good thing because if, if your partner comes into the room and everything in you goes, oh, you know, don't look at me, don't touch me, I don't wanna have sex, I don't wanna speak with you, go away. That's definitely not a good sign. Now that's not necessarily to say you have to immediately leave the relationship, but it's something that needs to be explored fully. Uh, good for either partner. Um, as as a you know as a general rule, you do not want to uh, expose yourself to people who are actually repulsed by you, and uh, and you don't want to um, turn towards somebody whom you are repulsed by without knowing why you're repulsed by that. Now. Uh, a waning in sexual interest, that's not a valid um, reason to immediately go because uh, that can be explored and that can be uh, potentially, um, you know, revitalized, not always, but potentially. Now, if it's a long term, uh, you haven't had sex for 10 years, that's definitely a problem. But uh, you know, a kind of a waxing and waning or, or a kind of a waning after a honeymoon period, that's not necessarily a reason. Things like um, physical abuse, substance abuse, um, things of that nature, they're very serious and they should be looked at very, very seriously. Um, but anytime there's a repulsion in the body, uh, that's a serious sign to do some um, you know, exploratory work if you can afford or um, logistically make it happen with a therapist or otherwise uh, in ways that it's really closely looked at. So I'm going to pause there because that was a lot and I don't know if I, if I forgot something or if uh, you have any questions on that. Well, that's very interesting. And I'm curious about some of the things that might cause a repulsion in the body. And also maybe a little further on this question of reading the body signals. There's another question that came in a little bit along those lines, which is, as an anxiously attached being, how do I create more courage to stay around romantic partners with safe attachment? They often seem too boring, or it doesn't wake up the fire in me. And I think this question perhaps speaks to uh, one of the uh, ideas in attachment theory, which is that if you have a particular attachment style, in this case, we have an anxiously attached person, but an avoidantly attached person, for example, might feel a sense of fear or threat when intimacy is beginning to develop and want to therefore avoid, hence the title, that uh, intimacy. And it can be very difficult for a person with avoidant attachment style, so the theory goes, uh, to differentiate between what's actually a threat or dangerous and what's the body perceiving danger in otherwise relatively safe intimacy. So it's like, well, I know I'm feeling this. How can I detect? Because sometimes it might be a threat and other times it's just the attachment sort of bias, if you like, uh, loading up 
So how can you decode the signals that your body uh, is giving to you in such a situation? Mm. Ooh, so many questions, so many good questions in there. Um, well, I think the first thing that we want to talk about is that, of course, when we look at how people attract each other, it sometimes happens, right, that the person uh, who uh, is avoidant gets somebody who is needy, right, uh, or anxious, right, or that the person who uh, lacks intimacy, um, uh, you know, or, or lacks the, the need for intimacy, I should say, gets with somebody who had parents who didn't give them a lot of intimacy, right? So it's not just a, a, a attachment styles that play into it, but also imprints. And so um, often uh, one of the classic combos that, that you see uh, when you work with couples is that one person had a super overbearing parent and the other person had a, uh, let's say, very neglectful parent and they somehow find each other, right? And then it, it plays together or somebody is, um, anxiously attached and somebody is avoidant. And then the dynamic creates exactly the, the loading up of these patterns, the patterns of fear, the patterns of repulsion, the patterns of uh, dependence on the other person's approval, the pattern of um, not wanting to get too close, right? There's all of those things that play together. So in general, we have to kind of go well, there's two layers that always happen simultaneously. And that's true for pretty much everything that happens in the, in the body and then in the, in the cognitive function and the emotions. One is you have to listen to the signals of your body. Right? That's super, super important in all of those aspects. But that you have to learn how to create a lag between listening to the signals of your body and reacting. This is in general, one of the skills that when we as humans learn makes life uh, a lot easier and a lot uh, better to navigate because um, essentially uh, the, the decoding the messages of the body takes a bit of practice. And um, the body responding is not the same as uh, the mind and the emotion following up on that response, right? Because there's, there's so much information in between. So I'll stick with the repulsion. When I have a strong repulsion to somebody coming into the room, I, you know, let's say it's a meeting or something. I can't, or I could, but it might not be a good thing to do, right? I can't just get up and run out or go, you know, or go, oh, you're horrible, go away. That's horrible because the other person has no idea or, or any doing really, unless, you know, they're covered from head to toe in manure or something. Um, they have no idea what's actually happening. So, but that's not to say that I shouldn't go, oh, wow, I have a strong sense of repulsion in my body. But then there has to be a little bit of a lag where I can go, oh, that repulsion makes me maybe anxious or that repulsion makes me afraid or that repulsion makes me angry. Where is that coming from? Is there a real threat or is this old stuff? 
Right. And so over time, of course, when when these things happen, particularly when you have somebody with whom you can discuss this and when you know your your patterns, you can make a differentiation between a real threat and a perceived threat or a, a triggered threat from from the past. And within that, you're then able to either actively work with that trigger or actually remove yourself from that situation reliably. And that's the important thing. And so um, we're often talking about the fact that, um, you know, I, as, as, as you well know, I'm a big believer in somatic education and somatic therapeutic modalities. But I'm also a believer that um, you have to have done a certain amount of insight into your patterns so you know where you are. So I always describe it as therapy. It's kind of like getting a, a, a cartography of your landscape, so to speak. Right? You get to see the bigger picture of you know, where are things coming from, where are they going, what's the terrain. And then when it happens in the moment in the body, you can go, oh, I am here on the map. All right. This reminds me of X, or this is exactly like what my parents did, or this is uh, connected with my last relationship or whatever, right? And then you can go, okay, but I'm safe, I'm here. I feel these things, this is my partner. I'm going to just hang out for a second and maybe say I'm triggered or, uh, you know, when you do this, it makes me feel like you are, you know, overbearing or neglecting me or whatever. And then you can actually work with it. So that's from a therapeutic standpoint, super important that you have enough insight into what's happening that you might be able to catch uh, a trigger before it goes into the full-blown reaction. Now that's ideal scenario. Often, particularly when we begin that process, you the thing happens, the stimulus happens, or the trigger, or whatever you want to call it. You start reacting, then you, your partner's corresponding pattern kicks in. They start reacting, and now you're off to the races. And then you have to, you know, deconstruct it and go. Well, when you did this, I felt like this. Well, when you moved away, I felt like I was being abandoned, and so on. And then maybe you can deconstruct it, and over time you learn that what you perceive isn't the same as what they do. And that's when that happens in a relationship and also in a human, then you are able to navigate your life a bit better without being constantly thrown by the perceptions that come via the emotion or the body. That's very interesting. So it seems you're advocating for both the ability to feel what the body's saying, so to say, but also to have some understanding as to your patterns. So you're able to decode that more clearly. It strikes me that the two possible extremes might be one can feel the body, but has not really got much insight into one's patterns. So it's sort of driven by the body's feelings in an almost a reactionary way. Or the other extreme, which one does sometimes hear with the sort of attachment theory ideas when they're perhaps applied a little too zealously is, well, I'm avoidant. So whenever I feel that threat response of intimacy, I'm going to override that because that's just my pattern. And so, well, yeah, maybe, maybe most of the time, but also sometimes maybe not. <laughs> you know, so you can't just pathologize your 
threat response actually because there's there's going to be some there's some wisdom in there as well so it seems like if you're able to bring it together and the one of the keys you're suggesting to getting that insight is therapy where presumably one goes over situations of the past to to try to sort out what was really happening and how close was what i was feeling to what was happening and so on and one presumably with the therapist also talks through unfolding situations with a view to better understanding these dynamics is that roughly how you're advising people to go about this yeah, I would definitely say being able to have an accurate roadmap of these different lenses is super useful, right? Um, and having some insight as to the self-responsibility within that is super useful. However, that could be therapy, uh, very specific, um, you know, self-inquiry, coaching, I think a good therapist, and you know, not every therapist is a good therapist, but a good therapist in a very short period of time um, can, you know, help somebody have a map. And then within that map, then you can learn practical tools and you can learn different techniques in all different modalities that allow you to get uh, a, a little bit of a lag between your initial response and the way you act with your partner. And, you know, this also, this plays in a few of the other questions that came in, one of which was, um, how can I have my partner, how can I tell my partner that I need him to be more masculine, you know, which, by the way, is such a loaded thing that we should do an entire podcast just on that, because there's so much odd dogmatic um, uh, language around that. And then there's, of course, just the needs, the basic need of uh, what's happening in relationship, right? And what's happening in a relationship, regardless if it's a same-sex relationship or, you know, opposite-sex relationship, what happens in relationship is we want, we want things from our partner um, that we think we need to have so we're happy, <laughs> Whatever they are, right? More intimacy, less intimacy, space to breathe away from the partner, um, all the time together, cuddling together on the sofa, or leadership from one person and a little bit more relaxation and not, uh, you know, kind of micromanaging every move of the other person um, and, and things like that. So there's a lot in there where people fix themselves on they need something that would make the relationship okay and that while uh, asserting one's needs is really really important and is a skill all in itself that we all have to learn it's also good to understand that some of the lenses have like more masculine are lenses that are probably born out of uh, you know certain let's say, imprints or attachment styles where, um, where the partner somehow thinks that if the other partner would just step up the way that they read it in a book somewhere or heard it from somebody who talks about it, right, that would solve it all. And then, of course, the other partner goes, well, why don't you like me for who I am, which kicks then back in to their patterns, right? I'm doing those things and you're not even seeing it because you have an idea of how I should be. That's not who I am. So you don't actually like who I am, 
why are you with me? Right. And the other person goes, well, I like the idea of you, but you're not exactly how I think you should be. Right. And, and so, and so hence, I feel like you don't try hard enough for me, which makes me feel less valuable. And, uh, you know, if you would love me, you would do this for me. And, and, and all of these things play out often, um, not in the, in the reality of what a good functioning relationship is, but in a, in a playing out of old patterns, right? So um, instead of saying to somebody, I need you to be more in your masculine, you gotta look very closely and go, what is it that you're really saying, right? And, and that's why also sometimes good therapy and good uh, a good cold hard look at one's own role in this, you know, uh, is important because maybe it's just something like, Look, I spend all day telling people what to do. When I come home in the evening, I'm kind of done. And when you ask me where I sh where where do I want to go for dinner, I just don't want to make yet another decision. Can you make a decision, right? That would be an appropriate way of uh, explaining a nebulous statement like that, or um, you know, or something like. Well, I like it when you, when we try out new things, I don't always wanna be the one who initiates that. Is there something that you'd like to do that you could initiate? Or I read a book or heard a talk with an idealistic view of relationships, selling or promoting a particular ideology. And now I feel deficient and less than, and uh, according to them, the problem is, <laughs> You need to be more X, Y, Z or something like this. I mean, right. that, that's that's another aspect of it. Sometimes um, if one's honest, it's the sugar crash from reading pseudo-inspirational material. Also true, right? Or nowadays in the days of, uh, uh, you know, social media, you see other people portray something um, that is absolutely, you know, it's aspirational. It's It's the... Uh, psycho-emotional relationship version of the app that makes your ass look smooth, right? <laughs> it's, 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 it's the same thing, right? What, what's shown out there isn't necessarily how actual relationships function. And we all fall prey to that sometimes, right? Where we hear something that we desire and yearn for. And so we think if we do what those people say they do, then uh, that's going to be the answer, but the answer typically lies into looking at what is it that we contribute? What is it that your partner contributes? How can we work this out a bit different, differently? And often these things are very minor adjustments to let's say um, communication patterns where if you just phrase something slightly different, the other person's relational triggers aren't, uh, you know, firing off, and you are actually able to do the thing you want to do, both of you. So, I, you know, I think a, a lot of uh, what what the questions were in the in in you know that were sent in have to do with um, learning the differentiation between what's felt and what's needed and um, also learning um, how to navigate unrealistic expectations with what's actually happening. Uh, and one of the things about 
I think the pandemic and you know everything that happened within that is um, we were exposed, let, let's put it this way, we got to see a lot more of people's um, unexamined sites or you know, unexplored sites simply because uh, a lot of people in couples suddenly spent all day together, right? Or you were suddenly um, seeing somebody work and be at home and work out and cook or not cook or what. So there, there has been a lot of um, extra attention to all aspects of a, a human's life in relationship while before often you wouldn't see certain aspects of a person you wouldn't know how they were at work right or you didn't see how they interacted with the babysitter or or with the kids or things like that so I think um, you know kind of pulling it a bit apart and going why am I feeling this and honoring the feeling like you said because the other thing is when you override your body's feelings it's as bad as when you just go with your body's feelings you say this actually right this is one of your things where you talk about the board of advisors and I think you might want to say that yourself because I'm definitely not able to say it as nicely as you do yeah, I can say something about that quickly, which is yeah, sometimes I talk about bringing the body to the board of advisors. And if you imagine inside a sort of King Arthur's round table, and there are lots of different seats there, of course, and perhaps you know one of them's your cultural uh, context, your upbringing, uh, your you know reasoning, your education, different things, different aspects of, of you may, are there. And then you also bring in the body to have a seat at that board of advisors to contribute in a certain sense its perspective of course it's it's a metaphor but what can happen when people uh begin to do that sometimes the body can uh, there can be a dictatorship of the body the body now it's finally being listened to uh, jumps into the middle of the table and says right i'm in charge now <laughs> so you know you get things like i'm not like you sometimes say i'm not getting i'm not getting out of bed in the morning without my green juice or something like that or i won't do anything unless it's a whole body yes well, I can tell you that many times in the morning when I wake up uh, and I, it's time to get out of bed, it's not a whole body yes. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a parent, you often have to override your body. Uh, your body signals, maybe the body wants to sleep more to tend to your, to your child or so on. Or if you're working, you have a deadline. There's all sorts of situations where we need to be able to override the, uh, if you want, impulse of the body. But that's not the same as um, being disconnected from what the body's feeling. If it's on the board of advisors, you can take into account uh, what the body's saying. You're aware of what you're overriding. Um, if you completely suppress the body, well, we know that so many people get into burnout that way uh, eventually and are in the short term also handicapped a bit by not having that uh, bodily intuitive gut feeling, if, if we want to say it like that. Yeah, I think that's important because you were saying this earlier. I want to go back to that because I want to, uh, you know, go back to when do you know when to stay and when to go, uh, you know, at, at the end of this. Um, when you override the body for the mind, uh, often because you, you go, oh, this is just my anxious attachment style going and I should just lean in. You hear this a lot from therapists these days is, oh, just lean in, right? Well, what you're doing is you're saying to the most ancient part of your nervous system that detects danger, that it's 
wrong, right? Or that that it's not being used. And you're essentially betraying an aspect of you that needs to be actually cultivated so that you are getting better at threat uh, you know, detection and not less um, uh, aware of it. So you have to essentially understand that when your body has a, th a threat response, you have to go, yes, I'm having a threat response. Maybe that threat response is not to a current situation, but thank you, I'm using that spike in the threat response to look at the situation and see, is it old? Or is there actually a red flag that I'm trying to override in an attempt to make a relationship work that's not workable because my therapist told me it's just because I'm avoidant or because I'm anxious, right? So you have to do both and always go, thank you, here is the threat response. You're giving me a warning. I hear the warning and now I'm going to make a decision based on all factors. Am I invested in the relationship? Is there a real threat? Um, am I compatible with this person? Is this a way to, is this a chance to work through a trigger or is this an actual thing where um, it's actually not going to work out with this particular partner? And so uh, coming back to when is it time to go? When is it time to stay? Well, it's time to go when both of you decide it's time to go, but that's barely ever the reason, right? It's time to go when your emotional, physical, or mental well-being are in danger, then it's clearly time to go. It's also time to go when you are endangering your partner emotionally, mentally, or physically, Right. That's so those are important things to understand, but it's also time to go when the relationship is, you know, over a longer period of time with help, support, therapy, insight isn't getting better or is degrading further. It's also time to go when you're starting to do things that are out of integrity within yourself and within being, uh, you know, the uh, agreements of the relationship uh, and where you are eroding your own uh, idea of self and as well eroding the other person in your actions. Those are all reasons to go. It's, uh, it's definitely worth always, you know, at the, when a relationship is getting it to that breaking point, it's always good to do some work on it before you decide, even if you know that you're deciding to leave, it's always good to do some work, particularly if you have children, on, um, on at least aligning communication as much as needed to handle parenting within a breakup, right? Or things of that nature. And um, I would definitely say that while I don't believe that all people should you know, stay together. I really don't. I think certain things just um, take their course either because they're no longer, people are no longer aligned, their goals aren't aligned and they're holding each other back or uh, their, their styles are so out of sync that as they become healthier in their self-awareness and the awareness of the other person, it can't properly work. Or any other reason, you know, that, like I said, where there's a detrimental effect 
uh, but I do think it's always good to leave on the best of terms unless and this is the big caveat of course unless you're in actual danger then you need to just get the hell out as quickly as possible get some help and get safe right i just want to say that um that that's of course always a caveat but that's not what the questioner was asking yeah. so i think yeah uh, that, that that's a long long way around but uh, I think it it happens a lot where people don't know uh, is it time to go and is it time to stay and of course the thing that we didn't talk about we talked about that in our last podcast is when people start cheating or going other places for the things that are missing in the relationship that's also of course a very clear sign that things need to be uh, examined very clearly and, and carefully well, thank you, Michaela. That's very interesting. And we have so many more of these questions that have come in through Instagram stories. So perhaps we'll have to do another one of these to address some of the others. Thank you for your questions, those of you who sent them in. And thank you very much, Michaela. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for listening to the Michaela Bohm podcast. For workshops, courses, teacher trainings and more, visit www.michaelabohm.com.